I'm going to dive right in. So for those of you that are here, weren't here last week, I really encourage you to go online and get the message from last week. It's on our website. Bill really opened up a topic that I'm going to dig into further, and the topic is on grace. So check it out. It's on our website on the Listen tab. Um, so corporately, we've been hearing, I mean, we've been talking about this for I don't know how long, but th there's a harvest coming, that there's souls that are coming to the Lord. How are we preparing ourselves to receive what lo the Lord is pouring out, the people that the Lord is saving and putting in our lap to disciple and to love and encourage and, and raise up? That is the context of so much of the, what we're talking about in this church, and that's the context of the, the fast that we're going on in March together as a company. So knowing that context, I, I feel, and, and Bill opened this up quite a bit um, last week, th the revelation, the understanding of grace is essential for, for what is about to happen in our midst. And, and I, I hope that today, through what we're talking about, it will prepare my heart and yours to really receive the harvest, the outpour of the Spirit, the salvation of so many souls, because we'll understand grace and we'll be able to actually traverse the things that are coming, which are exciting and amazing, but we want to stay rooted and grounded in truth. And the gospel of grace is one of the most beautiful, rich truths that you could possibly imagine. So we, we're going to explore that, that together. Um, to, to just unpack a little bit of what Bill talked about last week, he talked about the, the failure of trying to do good to transform the human heart. Trying to do good does not produce a transformed heart. It, it actually steals and, and, and takes away from grace, which is the real, it's, it's the real avenue for us to be transformed. Um, he, spoke about, he spoke about having a heart posture of grace versus one of justice and, and how we can, we can so easily speak justice when God is giving us grace for ourselves but justice for the other person. Um, he spoke about how essential it is that we live and walk in grace and given what is what is to come. So those are kind of the main points that I took from, from last week, and I'm building upon them this this week. So even as he was sharing that, th this hunger in me, this stirring in me was occurring. God, I want to understand your grace. God, I want to live in your grace. I, I want to know it. I want to experience it. I want more revelation and understanding of it. And, and so really today what, what, what we're talking, it's really about understanding this grace at a deeper measure. And it can, this will continue for our entire life. Do you know that? It's like you encounter God's grace, you give your heart to him, but then it's a continual process of actually understanding what you got, what the blood of Jesus really did to you. It is, it is such a fun journey, but it's one that we should always expect more and more and more and more of. Second uh, Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Grow in knowledge. I tell you, I became a parent, you know, five years ago, and, and we're, we're praying today for kids. And that helped me so much to grow in grace because <laughs> it pulls out all your weakness and all your, and all your stuff. And, um, and in that moment, you feel God's grace weigh on you. And I want to apologize to the back row over there. My daughter earlier hit you with a ribbon wand, and so bless you. Because um, <laughs> when you have kids, you can't necessarily control everything they do, right? And you need more grace. But, uh, yeah, my daughter was hitting people with ribbon wands in the back. I was like, I think that's the Lord, but I don't know. Um, it could just be children. Um, so my goal today is that we increase in the measure of our understanding of the experience of God's grace. So God's grace, it fuels every part of the Christian life. And it's almost like it's something we have to experience daily even. And I think the analogy I, I came up with was even like sleep. Like if you not experiencing God's grace daily for yourself is kind of like not sleeping for your body. So it's, 
we encounter it and it leads us to salvation and we give our heart to the Lord. But this daily understanding and experience of his grace is essential for our functioning in life. And, and if you want to bring the kingdom and, you know, transform culture and do all these things and you're not experiencing his grace daily, I would propose to you, you're going to have a really hard time because you're not receiving that. You're not being transformed from the inside. And how can you transform if you're not transformed? And his grace is, th- is the transforming agent um, that. So it teaches us and it empowers us. It teaches us how to live and it empowers us to actually do it. Um, here's the definition of grace. So grace means undeserved favor or kindness towards someone. So that's the definition, undeserved favor or kindness. So it's interesting, the emphasis of grace is not at all on those who receive it. It's on the giver. The giver, it, the whole grace is contingent on the kindness and goodness and gentleness and love of the giver. Because the receiver is not receiving because of anything they've done. <laughs> There's nothing the receiver is, is signaling in order to, to get that grace. Grace is purely focused on the giver, the giver being God, his goodness, his love, his, his, his grace, his undeserved favor and kindness towards us. So I, I thought to myself, like, well, when have I experienced grace? Um, wh- what is a, a good example for my personal life? And um, I've shared this story in the past, but I, it's the best one I could come up with. Um, when Vanessa and I were dating, we, we had this moment, and if, you know, if you've been in a serious relationship, you probably had the same moment, where you really have to just hang out all your, all your dirty laundry, right? You really, like, you, things are moving along. You have to define the relationship further. I want to marry this woman. And it's like, you know what? I've got to come clean on anything I've ever done in my life. She's got to know this is, this is me. This is what I've been, and I've and I got to spew it all out. So, you know, pray about when to do that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, go to the boundaries and dating class. Um, so anyway, we have this moment. We're in uh, Hagerstown, Pennsylvania. Strange place to do this. We're in some weird park. And uh, it was, the whole thing was weird. They were like, you shouldn't be here. There's, there's prostitutes here and there's drugs here. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this here. So I guess <laughs> they have to go. So anyway, that it was weird. But anyway, we're in this park and I spill, my, I spill my guts and I just say everything I've ever done and say, hey, this is, this is who I am or who I've been. And uh, this is what you're getting in the relationship. And I've never felt such grace, such relief. Like, I, I know what grace feels like because of that moment. Because in that moment, it, I'm giving up all my secrets. Everything is unhidden. And even in that, she's extending grace. And the reason it's, it's such a great example is because not only is she offering forgiveness, but she's actually then extending to, to form a covenant with me. Because we're headed into marriage at this point. We're, we're this close. So it, grace is not just releasing forgiveness or, or releasing mercy and saying, you know what, I understand, you know, you were crazy as a teenager and you did some stupid stuff and, you know, that's, that's amazing. It's saying, you know what, you did all these things that were not good and, and I see it all and I want to be in covenant with you. I want to be connected to you. I want you, I, I, like that, that is a complete, that, that's grace. It's not mercy. It's not just forgiveness. It is unmerited, undeserved favor. And the Lord, that, that's what he did with us, right? Like he sees all of our lives. He sees every component of it. And, he's, and he offers us this covenant. He says, I want to be in covenant with you. And, and he offers us this beautiful grace. And Ephesians 1, 6 says, 
we became adopted as sons and daughters. So we became, he offers us a covenant where we're now sons and daughters, we're heirs. We're heirs with Christ. And it says even in later in Ephesians 2, 6, we're raised with him and seated with him in Christ. So this covenant, he's taking us, he's giving us the riches of his glory and grace. He's giving us a new heart. He's giving us a new life, eternal salvation in him. And what do we give him in return? Nothing. We didn't give him anything. We, we came before him. We received his grace by faith. That's what we gave him. And we get the riches of his grace. So God's grace is revealed in Christ, but it's actually the very character and nature of who he is. So 1 Peter 5.10 says, the Father is, call, is called the God of all grace. He's called the God of all grace. Holy Spirit, in Hebrews 10.29, is called the Spirit of grace. And Jesus, in John 1.14, it says he was full of grace and truth. So there you have it. The Trinity, grace, is, this un- is the very nature and character of God. And his trinity, each of one, each one of them are actually marked by it. And it says within Christ, the f- he was full of grace and truth. Those are the two things that John describes that Christ was full of. Isn't that, isn't that like striking? If you're going to say anything, these are the two that he would highlight when introducing Jesus to the world in the book of John. He's full of grace, full of truth. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So it's saying all the fullness should dwell, but what is that fullness? It says he's full of grace and truth. It's a part of his nature. It's a part of who he is. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Grace establishes peace. It establishes reconciliation between us and God. It's a, it's a byproduct of his grace is his peace. Reconciling you and everything else on this planet back to God. How much more should we be marked by peace? Those that understand grace are marked by peace. When you go into chaotic situations, you, you have access to peace because of the grace of God that's been dumped upon you. It is the, the foundation of the grace that you can provide or the peace that you can provide is the grace that you have received. Ephesians 1, this is verse 7 through 8. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures. These are all in the New King James, um, but I, I've got so much because there's so much in here. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. The riches of his grace. We talked about gold this morning. And it was funny, I was talking to Rod, and I was telling him where to, where to park, and I was like, you got to go to the gold street. You got to go down gold. <laughs> Stay down gold. And I didn't even know he was going to share that testimony. <laughs> but I, I thought it was funny. Even when I was saying it to him, I was like, maybe there's something on this, Lord. <laughs> but the riches of his grace. I mean, Paul chooses to w- use the word riches. We got to sit on grace a bit longer. We got to, there's riches, there's riches. And I want, I want the real grace. I, I think when, when we experience real grace, like I did with Vanessa that night, God's grace, we recognize how beautiful and glorious and rich it is. 
and we sit on it, we camp on it, we say, God, I want to understand it more. I want to be it. I want to give it. I want to live it. it. Grace is so, I think we just use the term so much, we, we haven't camped on to understand the richness of it. And when you think about it, if you don't think about riches and, and goodness and glory, it, maybe you need to think about it some more. Like, I really, and, and I'm speaking to myself, I want to go deeper in this reality of God's grace. It should make you a bit undone, like, when you think about what he's done and, and, and how you, you gave nothing in return. It, it should undo you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians 2, 7 says that in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, he's showing off his grace through us. He's showing it off. Like he actually has given it to us to reveal to others how wonderful, how beautiful, how rich his grace really is. And you get to display it in a world that doesn't even know grace, in a world that grace is foreign to them. You get to display the grace of God on your life. I was in the subway, um, this must have been just a week or two ago. I got a new coat that my wife bought me. I don't buy things for myself anymore. I just realized that there, there was no grace for it. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it's a nice coat. It's really nice. It's got like a little furry thing on the back, you know, a little furry thing that goes around. It's very nice for New York winters. And uh, so I have my furry coat on, and I'm in the subway, and we're all packed in there. You guys know the routine. It's like, you know fast or it's the it's commuting hour and this guy I'm just sitting there and I'm actually in a really pretty good mood and this guy's behind me and he says <coughs> he says to me he says your coat's in my face <laughs> <laughs> and he was really mad about it <laughs> and I was like so full of God's grace like for my life at the moment that I was like I am so sorry sir Bless you, sir. I'm so sorry that I apologize for my fluffy coat. Because <laughs> I, I just, I really didn't have a bone in my body to throw, throw something at him, you know. Um, but it, it exposed in me in that moment, I was drawing from grace. I understood the grace of God in that moment, right? This is my, this is one moment in my life, mind you. Um, <laughs> When I'm driving, you might see some different moments in my life. Um, but I, I think I'm using this as an example because I think you can all relate to those moments, those situations where something happens to you and what's really in you, what you're meditating on, focus on, it comes out. It's like, oh, shoot, like I just cussed that person out. Like, you know, whatever, it, whatever comes out of you. But you, you recognize whether you're sitting in his grace, whether you recognize you're forgiven and loved by him, or whether you're not, because if you're not in that place, you will throw judgment. You will say, you know, you're in a subway car, man. What are you talking about, my fuzzy jacket? It's like, you know, take, the, take a taxi if you don't want a fuzzy jacket <laughs> in your face. <laughs> so when we, when we live in this grace, when, when we dwell in it, it's, I, I picked out four things that I, I believe grace will really produce. And this is the things for us to look for. And say, am I, am I in his grace? If, if I'm living in his grace, I'm understanding it right, then these things will come out of my life. Um, number one, grace produces humility. So Jesus came to heal the sick, right? He came to heal those that are sick, that knew they, they had a need. Do you remember what your heart was like when you met Jesus? Do you remember how, how sick it was? 
Sometimes we need to remember that because it keeps us humble. It keeps us aware of what we have. So I believe we get humbled because of grace, because we recognize the scope of our sin. It, it exposes the scope of our sin and our need for a Savior, our need for a Redeemer. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You were dead. The translation for that is dead. <laughs> Actually, I don't really know what the word is, but it is dead. You were dead. Dead in your trespasses. We've got to remember where we came from. It allows us to, to be reminded of the grace that we actually swim in every day. And sometimes we don't, know, we don't realize what we're swimming in, right? We just get so used to having a heart that maybe has some issues, but it's way more fixed and put together than it was when we gave it to Jesus. You know, when we were, I used to work in youth ministry, and we would do this thing called the Sin Talk. And it was, basically, we were, te- we were sharing the gospel, and it was one night where we would focus on sin. And we wouldn't tell kids that there was a solution to sin. That, and so it was actually quite controversial in the ministry because, you know, I- if you were a camp counselor, you knew why it was controversial because you share the story and you're like, you know, you basically share all the passages about the wages of sin being death and you don't talk about the free gift of life found in Jesus. So you come in tonight to a group of high school kids and they're freaking out. They're like, what am I going to do? I've been, you know, condemned like th- my life is. But you, they recognize their depravity. They recognized that sin had destroyed everything and that they had no path back to God. They understood they needed a Savior. So I'm not saying that was right. I don't, I don't know if it was right or wrong. I'm saying I saw it firsthand because kids were freaking out. And we should be, too, in that place if we recognize how sin has destroyed our life and how so it's, it, we're so essential that we have Jesus to reconcile us back to God. We're humbled because of the depth of his grace. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense death reign through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. For if by one man's offense death reign through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. One man's offense brought death, but Jesus paid the penalty for that death. He paid the penalty that you and I could not pay. Could not pay. And it says he offered, he re- we receive an abundance of grace. And I want to sit on that word abundance. Abundance of grace. Abundance. That means plentiful. That means, you know, unmeasurable, continual, outpour. Like dump trucks full of grace. When you think about grace, you've got to attach it to abundance. How good is that? It's, it's a continual thing. It, there's an abundance of grace for you and for me. Romans 5.20 Moreover, the law, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. 
There's that abound word again. Sin's abounding. Oh, gosh, I, I sin every day. There's sin happening in my life. But grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, grace now reigns in your life. If you're not in Christ, you have this abundance of sin that you can't do anything with, that, that condemns you. But in Christ, we have an abundance of grace that outweighs every sin that we could ever imagine. An abundance of grace. This is good news. This is good stuff. An abundance of grace you have access to through Christ. By faith in Christ, you have access to an abundance of grace. That loving kindness of God displayed by his grace will wear you out. You cannot out-sin his abundant grace. You can't out-sin his abundant grace. If you're in Christ and you receive him, you can't out-sin his grace. We need this revelation every day. We need to know there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. It's so essential. We are humbled because our works have no part in grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, works are a part of our life. We, we've been designed by God to do good works, but they don't factor into grace. We should do them. They're a byproduct of grace, but they don't factor into grace. That's a big difference. The works that you do today don't get you more grace, and they should flow out of grace. <laughs> grace fuels your good works. Not to, not to get it. You know, I think about the prodigal son in Luke 15, and he comes home, and he's thinking he's just going to come home and work and try to get, you know, just to summarize the story real quickly, you know, he, he squanders his wealth, he gets all his wealth, and he squanders his father's wealth, he runs off, and he, you know, does his own wild living, and one day comes his senses, I'll just go back to my father's house and be a hired hand and just work for him, and hopefully, you know, I mean, that'll be a better life than this, so his intentions, or his thought pattern is not you know, what actually happens to him. He's thinking, I'm just going to come back and work, and hopefully we'll make it work out. And he comes back, and what happens? The grace of God, the abundant grace of God, gets released over him. To his bewilderment, <laughs> he shows up, and his father runs to him, and he throws his arms around him, and he, and he gives him a ring, and he gives him a robe, and he gives him sandals, and he throws a party, and he kills the fatted calf. The abundance of grace in that story is is for you and for me. And I, I experienced it when I met Jesus, and I want to experience it every day. Because that's what fuels me. That, that's what, I think sometimes we're trying to do ministry, we're trying to do, we're trying to bring the kingdom, and we're not swimming in, this, in, in grace. And it's almost like, you, like you've been given this boat, which is maybe your, your, let's say that's your new heart, that you're a new creation in Christ, but you, you, you're trying to drive it on the land, right? Because you don't have, you've dried up, things have dried up, and that grace is no longer under you. So grace is, the, is the, the water that you actually get to drive this boat on. And without that grace, you're not going anywhere. You're still a new creation, but you get caught up in judgments and offense and failures, and you can't actually move the boat. 
like to do the things that God's called you to do. It's all in the context of his grace. All right, point number two. That was point number one, but I'm going to go faster. God's grace, point number one, produces humility. Point number two, God's grace produces intimacy. It produces intimacy. It produces intimacy. In parenting, we're, we're so much of, you know, Vanessa and I's parenting life or the things we've learned, you try to build that connection with your child, build that trust with them, and then when things happen, when, when you know, like they make bad decisions or, you know, they get exposed to things that are not good, they come to you because there's an understanding that you're not going to judge them, that, that, you're, that you're for them, that you love them, and we're trying to build that in our kids. But it, it is such th- this journey of them learning to trust us. So Fern was at school. It's my oldest daughter. And they, you know, they, it's supposed to be pizza day. I'm really, I'm really frustrated by this. It's supposed to be pizza day at school. So I didn't pack her any food. And then it wasn't pizza day. They served like fish sticks or something that's terrible. And <laughs> so it turned into a traumatic situation. I mean, it was like, we need sozos now. Um, <laughs> where she's calling. She's like, you know, so like sad and crying and I go and pick her pizza and bring it to her trying to just you know figure out the situation but now every day we come in to school and she's like traumatized like oh they're gonna force me to eat fish sticks again (laughs) and I'm like I keep telling her every time they're not gonna do that I'm protecting you I've talked to your teachers it won't happen and she's like I don't trust you I uh, they're gonna do it again and it's just funny because my daughter and I were having this exchange, and I would get frustrated. I'm like, "How would? Why don't you believe me? Like, I, I everything I've told you since you were, you know, a kid, I've followed through to the best of my ability." And she's just not trusting. But it it's this 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 journey that we're on with the Lord of trusting, and I think we have to learn to trust His grace. Like His grace is is an essential part of who He is that we're learning how to trust, and we're learning we can go to Him when our life is a mess. He knows it, and, he, and he's, when we come to him, we're, he, he's not going to come with judgment because Jesus took it all on anyway. He's not going to come with that heart. And I think we're, le- we're learning to do that as well with one another, and it's all interconnected, learning to receive God's grace, learning how to give it, learning how to walk in intimacy with him and with each other. It's all interconnected. If, if you see one breaking down in your relationships, you can imagine it's breaking down between you and the Lord. If you can't trust anybody, you probably can't trust him. It, there's there's these these connections that should be warnings to us. Something's off. I'm not growing in grace. I'm not receiving grace. Why am I shutting down? Why am, why is my intimacy lacking? Why can't I share things with others or with the Lord? Hebrews chapter four, verse thirteen, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Now, that's a scary verse without grace. That's a scary verse because it says God understands the intentions of your heart. He understands everything you ever thought, and you are naked and exposed before the Lord. Oh, shoot. But then read, read the next verse, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
If you want to grow in God, you've got to come to the throne of grace. You've got to know his throne is built on grace. And when you mess up, you will not be afraid to go because his throne is built on grace. And Jesus paid for my, for my mistakes. So I'm going to go to that throne. I'm going to get the grace that I need. And his grace, it will challenge every failure. It will restore your identity. It will come against every accusation of fear. It will, it will not allow you to look back to your old self, to your old ways. You come to God with some habitual thing that you just can't get rid of. Like, this sin is just messing me up. God, I don't want it. And he says, you know what? You can be free of it, and that's not who you are. Keep moving forward. Here's my grace. Don't give in next time. Here's my grace. He will encourage you, even while telling you to stop, he will encourage you in who you are. It's a, it, it's a paradigm shift for so many of us. We're not used to this dynamic. We haven't experienced it on the earth, but it's the way we experience God. It's the reality of his grace. All right, number three, God's grace produces liberty. Liberty. Romans 6, 1 through 2. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? No way. See, grace empowers you and liberates you from sin. Not just from the wages of it, from sin itself. So grace is no excuse for, for sin. It's actually what gets you out. <laughs> it's actually what allow, transforms you and, and allows you to walk out this life that God's given you. It's not an excuse. We can, we can people sometimes abuse grace, and they say, well, I can just keep going back and doing this, this sinful thing. The Bible says it, but I, there's grace. That mentality, you don't actually understand grace. You, you don't know what you're talking about. Either you don't believe his grace or you don't perceive it. it. It's a total distortion of truth. Grace is meant to empower you and to free you from sin, not to give you some out. And when you go to God, I don't think you know his grace because you're saying that, but if you went to the Lord with it, if you went to the Lord and you didn't stuff the, the issue, and we all have our issues, right? We all have our stuff. If you didn't, if you brought it to him, you know his grace and you'd want to be done with the sin because you know his heart breaks for because sin's not good for you. <laughs> sin destroys your life. That's why God hates sin, because he loves you. Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. <laughs> That's good. And y we're talking about, we're thinking about you're alive. You're alive from the dead. De sin produces death, but we're, we're no longer under sin. And your members as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. If you're in Christ, you're not under the law, you're under grace. The depth of that grace will entangle your heart from the worst sin imaginable. Now, there's a process that sometimes comes. Sometimes we, we give our life to the Lord and everything, you know, we don't have any desire for any of these things that, you know, sinful things that we used to desire. And other times it takes time. So don't hear me. Don't feel, the, the last thing I want you to do is feel condemned. Great, like, that's not what the Lord's grace is releasing on you. <laughs> he's, he's saying, oh, this thing keeps happening. Keep coming to me. Keep, keep, have a repentant heart, but have a heart that, that brings your issues and your hurts to me because I want to walk this out in healing and wholeness. 
it's a totally different paradigm than I'm going to just leave you and judge you and, and we're not, you know, we're not doing this anymore. And, and that's the lie that we've taken on by earthly examples often. All right. I'm going to jump down. Uh, last point. God's grace produces generosity. When the grace of God, when you receive it and it bubbles out of you, you can't help but be generous. And if you struggle with generosity and giving, not just of your money but your time, you may need to go deeper in the Lord and receive more of his grace. They're, they're connected. So if you look at, look at Zacchaeus in Luke 19, he was a wee little man. I'm kind of short, so I like Zacchaeus. Um, although I like to think he's shorter than me. But <laughs> anyway, Zacchaeus is up in a tree, and and the Lord says, I'm coming to your house. He, Jesus goes to his house. We don't know that full conversation. But Zacchaeus responds, rejoicing and giving four times what he stole and giving half of his wealth to the poor. I would like to propose to you that Jesus, full of grace and truth, dumped grace on Zacchaeus. He felt the love of God. He knew that his sins had now been forgiven as he's received truth and he now cannot help but give he can't help but give he he's no longer he's no longer attached to these earthly things because he's been captured by the grace of the living god the samaritan woman in john 4 jesus goes and you know he meets her at the well and they're like what are you talking to this woman at the well what, what are you doing jesus that's just weird for this day and age this, this dispensation it's weird to talk to women and he's like no i know what i'm doing so Jesus ministers to this woman, and he shares with her, which wouldn't seem like ministry, right? He shares with her, like, oh, yeah, you, uh, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not even your husband. And you read that verse, you're like, oh, dang, Jesus. He, you know, he had a word of knowledge. But you see, you see the, the fruit of it. And her testimony is she goes out telling everybody in Samaria, look at this man. He told me anything, everything I ever done. And you don't get a whole lot of context outside of that, but you see all the townspeople come and they receive Jesus. Why would she say that? What type of testimony? If somebody came up here and I prophesied over them, I just told them all the terrible things they ever did, would they leave this place and go, like, telling everybody about Jesus who knows everything they ever did? They would if they felt his grace. They would if the grace of God was poured out in the fact he knows everything about you but he's sitting in front of you, came to you at this well, and he's loving you regardless of everything he knows. I think that's the, that's the larger context. And her response is, is quite telling, right? I mean, read it again, and like, it's really wild. But she can't respond, she cannot respond to grace without giving, without speaking, without sharing who Jesus is. Colossians 4, 6. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We like the salt. We always talk about the salt part, but it says, I was like, oh, it says, let your speech always be with grace. If we're not living in his grace for ourselves, we can never release grace on others. It is essential. We can be givers when we receive that grace. And it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. It's going to make us the most powerful evangelist the world's ever seen. 
because you're receiving grace and you know how to give it because you know what it feels like. Because you felt it that day for the mistakes and the issues that day. You felt it. And you can give it. So God's raising up forerunners in this house. And we're declaring Jesus has come. He's restored. He's redeemed. Jesus is the stairway to heaven and earth. You, you can be reconciled to God. Believe in faith. Receive him. Be reconciled back to the Father. And we're releasing that grace in that message, the gospel message, the message of grace. And it's really, it's going forth. That, that's part of what this fast is all about. And it's part of what this house is called a steward. Worship team, could you all um, come up? So when we, when we give grace to people, we really actually, we're giving them an opportunity to taste the goodness of God, the nature of God. Because the world has no grace to offer. Grace is found only in God. And when you release grace on a person, it's an invitation for them to encounter the Lord. Now, I think it's so interesting that grace is so countercultural in how it is, just the very nature of it. When we walk in grace, the world does not understand it. It doesn't understand it. And it actually views it as weakness. So I want to encourage you. I, I feel like there's, there's, there's an opportunity to engage with his grace here, but continually in your workplace specifically. And it is going to be an avenue for the gospel to, be, to go forth. Because grace is an abnormality in the workplace. Anywhere outside of God, it's an abnormality. <laughs> People don't know it. And when they smell it, they're going to say, what is that? That is freedom. That is liberty that I want. And I believe this revelation of grace, it's going to change how we pray as well. We're a house of prayer. But when you pray from a place of understanding his grace for yourself, when you pray mercy and grace, instead of praying, you know, the things that, that you see that are easy to to judge, you bring it to the judge. It's a totally different posture. <laughs> and I believe in this season as where God's called us to pray for the city, called us to pray for the seven mountains, this grace revelation changes how we pray. And the more we get it, the more impactful our prayers will be because it'll be aligned with his heart. Everybody could stand. Father, we come to you and we ask for a greater revelation of your grace. God, would you give us faith to believe what you did on the cross? Would you give us faith to receive your grace actively, daily, continually? Father, we ask for grace to give grace. Would you give us grace to give out your grace, to model it to a broken, hurting generation? Father, by your grace, we ask that you would grow us in humility. Make us aware, Lord. Make us aware, Father. 
Make us aware of your goodness. Make us aware, Father, of our shortcomings and more aware of your grace. We ask, God, would you grow us in intimacy with you? That we would recognize we can always run to the Father. We ask, Father, for liberty. Lord, would you grow us to walk in liberty, liberty from sin, liberty from the things that try to destroy our lives, to walk as the new creation that we are in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask that you grow us in generosity, that we be givers of our time and our money, givers of your gospel, pouring out our lives freely because we've freely received your grace. God, I pray that your grace would radiate from each and every one of us. Let your grace radiate from each and every person in this room. That Jesus Christ would be revealed and known. That his grace would be exposed and the power of it would be felt all across this city, God. We won't hold back your grace. We will radiate your grace. No longer dead but alive in Christ. No longer dead but alive in Christ. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Let's worship him.